What's up, everybody? Welcome to Draft Chaff. This is episode number 42. My name is Zach. I'm one of your hosts. And joining me, as per usual, Ben Fisher. Ben, how's it going? Wait, uh, just one second. I-, I was trying to fire up a draft on Arena Mobile. Uh, can we just record this in a little while, Dude. like half an hour or so? Look, I was worried about this. You can't just like fire up a draft in the middle of the freaking podcast recording it's not okay i mean I, you're not you LSV. See my screen i haven't i didn't try i didn't start the draft yet so I, I, it's fine but i guess i'll All have right, to fine. wait and cube some more later on but i've this arena cube is just great yeah i've been a fan i think they actually got it to a point now where like things are relatively balanced in such a way that like just about anything is kind of viable and oh yeah good. i've been finding the same thing they over course corrected a little bit last time i think yeah. they made blue too good which you know that was repulsive to me but at this point i think it's actually pretty balanced i've even been having fun with some of the blue decks people in the in the discord saw that i had a disgusting wilderness reclamation deck i, I felt bad playing it it, it felt wrong <laughs> blue usually does well that said, this is our Kaldheim format farewell. That's right. Kaldheim is just about over. We have Strixhaven around the corner. Next week, we'll be doing the the format breakdown for that and very excited to dive into all the new Strixhaven cards. It's going to be really cool to look into the different colleges and how those are going to be working out. We've got a lot of multicolored cards coming up, but we'll save all that for next week. This week, we're saying goodbye to Kaldheim. Of course, before we do... Got to plug two things, first of which is the Discord. Check that out if you're interested in communicating with us on a more regular uh, basis and just interacting with the rest of the aficionados that are over there. We've got some really cool discussions around Strixhaven already, some EDH stuff popping up as well, and especially the cube with that uh, around on Arena right now. Never a bad time to join, and of course, the link to that will be in the episode description as well as on our Twitter page. Number two of things to plug early on in this episode is our Patreon. That's right. If you are interested in giving back to the show directly, that's the best place to do it. You can do so at patreon.com forward slash draftchaffpod. This is our primary sponsor and, in fact, our only sponsor of the show. It really keeps us doing this day in and day out. So thank you for all those who are supporting us in that way. We have five different tiers over there, ranging from $2 a month to $10 a month, and it really helps us a lot. Um, even just that that early, um, that low tier is more than we ever could have imagined anybody being willing to give us so thank you yeah. all to our patrons really can't thank you enough all right on to our crack and draft type thing what do you got for us this week ben i've decided that i think we're all a little bit snowed out the weather's getting warmer no one really is well people are still firing call time but it seems like people are moving on to other things there's eldrain right now on quick draft i think that we saw some cool lists being posted uh, i think people are more into the arena cube right now so i have an arena cube pack one pick two here for us pack one I slammed a Gilded Goose. It's no Lanamor Elves, but I guess it can be a little bit better in the mono-red matchup. Gilded Goose is a fantastic place to start. And now I've got pack two here. So, of course, one card missing. No idea what it is because the Arena Cube, uh, if you are wondering what that is, we did an episode on that. Uh, I'd say go listen to it, but it's, a, it's an old one and probably not our best work. Yeah. I think we're running out of time to, to talk about this one. It's already up and it's going to be out. But I think maybe the next time Rita Cube comes around, we, we can jump back into it. Now, that being said, I, I would consider myself a decent expert on the Arena Cube. I've been you know, just jamming as many as I can. Uh, I'm sick of Kaldheim and this is much more interesting. So I, I found a very interesting pack here. Now, something interesting about the Cube is that every card is good. There's always ways to win games. Everything is a bomb. Well, a lot of things are bombs. But every once in a while, you get a pack where there's just nothing that you really want. There's no clear standout early pick that you can just slam because it has the highest power level. And I found myself with that right here. I'm not going to read all the text on these cards uh, because there's a lot of it. But we'll kind of give a vague overview. We have Mythos of Aluna. This is the copy and maybe fight spell. Voracious Great Shark. This is a, a flash creature that can counter a, a creature spell. It's also a 5-4. Uh, Mythos of Nethroi. Got multiple Nethroi. It's just a black removal spell. Sweltering Suns. It's a 3-mana deal 3 in red and it has cycling. Rishkar's Expertise, which is a 6-mana sorcery. You draw a bunch of cards equal to the greatest power you have and then can play a 5-drop for free. Bag of Holding, it's an artifact that costs one. It does some kind of discarding nonsense, I forget. Uh, there's Seal Away, which is a, a solid white removal spell. Citrus Supplier, the Graveyard Enabler that people that play Historical certainly recognize. Chainweb Arachnir, uh, the Rogue's Worst Nightmare. Wolf Willow Haven, uh, it's a two-drop ramp spell aura. Crash Through, one red, draws a card, gives things trample. Uh, Fanatical Firebrand, a little mono red player from years past. And Thermo Alchemist, which is a pinger that untaps when you cast incense and sorceries. And one of my all-time favorite cards. It's a pretty cool one. I have died to it in cube a few times. And it's a great combo with Torbrin. 
uh, famous oh, red yes. pill. Now, with this pack one, pick one, Gilded Goose, what I was really hoping to see here was a big Planeswalker, ideally a red, green, or a blue one. Green would be, you know, best. Uh, a Vivian would be my personal thing that I'd love to see here. Or in red, I really like pairing green ramp with red Planeswalkers. You can check it out my... Uh, my 7-0 list that I posted right before this recording started. Now, something like a Chandra or I, I would have even been pretty okay with like a Liliana or a, I, don't, I don't know, even one of the big dumb blue planeswalkers. But here I don't really see any payoffs for ramping. Voracious Great Shark is acceptable, but I haven't been super impressed with this card ever since I got countered by it once. I've played around it successfully every single time. <laughs> uh, so not not ideal. Maybe other people aren't playing around it. Maybe it's better than I'm giving it credit for it. What are you taking a uh, taking a look at out of this pack here? Yeah, so one thing we like to spout a lot when it comes to cube in general, and especially the arena cube, is, as you said, a lot of cards are very powerful. So taking cards that seem powerful aren't isn't always the best thing to do. You generally want to be looking for needles in the haystack. And by that, I mean finding cards that are almost irreplaceable, like cards you can't mm-hmm. find another, another card to do the same thing of, or effects that you really just can't do with enough of. So with that said, given Gilded Gilded Goose and wanting to try to kind of play off of your first pick, even though, you know, you don't always have to stick yourself to your first pick, I don't hate the Chainweb Arachnir, but really not happy to pick it here. My eyes immediately went to Sweltering Suns. It's a board wipe, which can be great, especially if you have uh, a bigger rampy style deck because it isn't going to kill a lot of your own creatures. And it cycles, so if you don't want to cast it, you can just draw a card off of it. So... That's a card that I'd like to to maybe speculate on here. The Great Shark, I agree with you, is is good, but again, can be pretty played around and isn't amazing. There are plenty of cards that do very similar things. Yeah. So I think I'd be looking at Sweltering Suns here. The expertise is fine, but you really want to have, you generally want to have different payoffs. Uh, drawing cards isn't super difficult with this cube, and you know you'd rather just be smashing your big like six plus drop anyway. Mm-hmm. It's funny you mentioned that. I did actually end up taking the expertise out of this pack. Now, it, it wasn't a pick I was happy about. In fact, I've cut Rishkar's expertise from some of my bigger green decks that even like this would want to turn into. Uh, sometimes it's just the worst card in there. But the ability to combine this with a handful of specific cards, something like Ronus or uh, Verger's Gear Hulk, these mm-hmm. green cards that can just have absurd power very early in the game. Elder Gargaroth, for example. Gargaroth is they amazing also- in this iteration of the cube. Yeah, I have been very impressed with the Gargaroth. Not a lot of removal can cleanly answer it right away, despite the fact that that's one of the problems in Standard. I found that a lot of the removal here, like if your opponent's playing red, just that's it. <laughs> they're, they're gone. I found really the best way to, to deal with it is white exile effects. Uh, but a lot of There times is one other way to deal with it that I've been on the wrong, the wrong receiving end of. I was in a game where I was on the back foot for most of the game and was I, I top decked the Gargaroth and I was like, okay, this is the basically the only card in my deck that's going to get me out of this because it will generate enough value that, you know, it, it'll keep me alive. Mm-hmm. And they immediately uh, lay claimed it. And I was just like, okay, well. Oh, no. <laughs> I thought you were going to say blocking it, which is also, uh, uh, you can do that, but, you know, by that point, they've already gotten some good value. I did actually beat a turn three Gargaroth. Uh, wow. It was, it was not easy. My opponent went Llanowar Elf into Llanowar Visionary into Gargaroth. And uh, my, my comeback involved a bunch of red first strikers and a Torbran, which made it pretty impossible to attack into me. And then a six drop Chandra to come clean things up. But that yes. was, it was a, a, a quite a nail biter. But yeah, so I went with the expertise here. But uh, interestingly enough that I, I'd come across a pack like this where honestly there was nothing standing out as super exciting. That kind of thing doesn't happen in Q very often, but it's good to know what to do when it happens. For sure. All right, on to our Teferi Tybalt. This is the section of the show where we talk about our weeks, something that went well, something that went poorly. You can think of it as uh, roses or thorns, something along those lines. Ben, why don't you kick us off with your Teferi Tybalt? Sure thing. Uh, I guess I should start with my Teferi because I had a, a, a bunch of interesting things going on. First of all, I'm on spring break, which is nice. I'm sitting around at home, uh, not <laughs> teaching every day. So it's nice to have that. I guess I can interject my Tybalt here, which is that spring break is ending at the end of the week. And then I go back to school for pretty much the rest of the, the school year. And then I, I find myself with a lot of lessons left to plan and a lot of things left to do before the, the school year ends. But it is wrapping down in the summer. It should be much, much calmer for me. So uh, I guess I'll try to survive the rest of it. But back to my Teferi side of things. Uh, the Arena Cube is up, which I'm always a huge fan of. 
Strixhaven's coming, so we've been getting some spoilers. And honestly, even the Commander spoilers have been pretty great to see. We've had some, some nice discussion about that in the Discord. Uh, another sealed open got announced, which uh, I, I didn't oh, make yeah. it into the last, uh, but I, I guess I'm going to... I think I, I, I fell out of the Mythic 1200 just a, a few days before. This one I'm going to have to fight for. Well, the, the open is an open. You were in the open. Oh, wait, time. this is an open? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah. I keep the tournament types. Wait, so this is a sealed open? Yes. The one for where you play for yeah, where you play play for cash and you're gonna have mystical archives involved. Oh, this is even better. Of course, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna do this several times. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, let, let's do it. Uh, I guess we'll stream that. And finally, my my final my final Teferi is that I'm looking into starting a club at, at the the school that I teach at. Uh, I found out a few of my students are interested, and one of the other teachers is like a legacy aficionado or something. So he said he like you know all those all the kids would bring like their Yu-Gi-Oh decks, and he told me like man, I wish they played Magic like you know uh, a good game. I was like, oh, say no more. So I, I hit up the local game store. They gave me an absurd amount of stuff for free, like play mats and, and packs and promo packs. And uh, not in, not to mention one of those like huge cases of cards. They gave me 4,000 commons and uncommons, 4,000 draft shafts, if you'll say, uh, and 1,000 lands, 1,000 basics. That's dope. I, I, I was speechless. And they he, he tossed the t-shirt in for me too. <laughs> so shout out to Bearded Dragon Games uh, in, in North Jersey. I, I think we should, you'll be seeing a, a plug for me on Twitter from them too. Like that was fantastic. And I, I think my students are going to be really excited to get, well, I mean, I, I, I reached in and I threw together a mono white deck for one of my students real quick. Like it, it, this is going to be great. And this is going to last forever. <laughs> There's no way I can get rid of all these. That's awesome. Yeah. Good people over at Bearded Dragon. Absolutely. What's up with you? All right, so bit of a roller coaster of a week for me. Looks um, like it. <laughs> so I'll start with the, I guess I'll start with the Tybalt here. So we record the podcast on Wednesdays, and Wednesday of last week, my wife Hannah was out uh, hanging out with some friends who she sees on a regular basis. She works with most of these people, so it's uh, they're not not people that she hasn't been around already. But um, she gets home Wednesday, and Thursday morning we get a call from her friend. She tests positive for COVID. So suddenly everybody's like scrambling. We're like, wait, okay, you were with somebody who tested positive. Did you have your masks on? No. Okay. Uh, were you like, inter- all these, you know, all the questions that pop up. Yeah. And then, so Hannah runs out and gets a rapid test. That comes back negative. But typically the nice. gestation period for COVID is is a few days. So it's probably too fast for the test to be accurate. So it's yeah. like, okay, at least we have like some immediate sense that it's not necessarily positive. Uh, but we still want to quarantine and do all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Her, her friends get tested and this is, it's like a family. They're all siblings, uh, mm-hmm. like four or five different siblings. All of them test positive every single Oh, oh no. So we're just like, okay. Um, uh, you know, you like, you have it. We just assumed you have it and, and we'll go from there. So my roommate actually left and this is Easter weekend too. So it's like yeah. this whole situation, my roommate's girlfriend was supposed to be coming in and, um, staying with us and then and then going to my roommate's parents for easter he just noped out of here as soon as we found <laughs> out um and stayed stayed with his parents for a handful of days while we waited out this period of time where she could take the pcr test which is way more accurate so that rolls around and that's a five-day period where we're just we're just waiting and like not not sure what's going on um i tried to separate myself from her as well so we like basically we stayed on opposite ends of the apartment for the whole five days yeah, makes sense. Monday rolls around, she gets her test, and this rolls into my my Teferi. The PCR test comes back negative. I have no idea how she didn't get it, and right. neither of us had symptoms yeah. the entire time. But you know what? I'm not going to question it. It We don't have symptoms. <laughs> the test came back negative. I'm going to roll with it. The other thing was I got vaccinated yeah. on Thursday. So nice. we were like wondering how that would affect if she did have it, would I catch it? And if I did, how would it, how awful would it be or whatever? Mm. But I got the first dose of the vaccine. So that was fantastic. I think I mentioned that on last week's episode. Uh, last side of the Teferi is that I've, I decided I should be drinking more water. And I think I've talked about this before on the podcast, but, uh, I've been drinking a lot more water and I feel pretty good. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's doing its thing. So, you know, that, that's always good. Drink more water folks. (laughs) Did you replace your uh, your daily coffee intake with? Did you switch over entirely, or is oh, this like absolutely a, not, <laughs> like a weaning yourself off type deal? No, I'm not weaning myself off at all. I just want to make sure that I'm drinking <laughs> water. So I'm drinking more throughout the day. Like I'll keep drinking up until I go to bed, basically. But um, I'm still getting my coffee intake. No, can't can't take that away from me. You know what you should do? You know those uh, 
those like feeding bottles that like guinea pigs <laughs> will have that you can just mount them up on the wall. You should get one for each, but one for coffee. Oh, one that's for brilliant. I'll just get like one of the soda hats and have <laughs> oh, yeah, it's even better. Side. Awesome. Well, that brings us to our listener question of the week. This week, our question comes from Wolverine, one of the longtime folks in our Discord and patron. So thank you for your support, Wolverine. This week, he asks, uh, do experienced players feel that Arena is taking some of the sport, quote unquote, out of the game by warning players about things like this? And we'll get into that in a moment. Instead of just allowing things to happen and people having to learn the hard way, basically, like you would in Paper Magic. So, Ben, why don't you talk us through what is Wolverine referring to? And uh, what's kind of the context around this question? So this actually came up as a question in our Discord, just in casual chatter. And I was like, wait a minute, this is so good. I want to discuss this on the podcast because this is this is great. Now, what he was referring to is that apparently Arena is going to show a, a quick reminder if you try to cop or if you try to target a creature that has ward, which is this new ability that says uh, if this creature would be targeted by a spell, counter that unless like the ward cost is played. Uh, paid so uh word could be a mana cost it could be like paying three life it could be something like that uh so apparently arena is going to automatically say hey are you sure you want to target this uh, similar to how it kind of pauses and makes sure you want to essence scatter a toski for example uh it, it, like a non-counterable spell so it's kind of adding this little this little reminder to the game so the question is is this taking some of the sport out of it? what do you think honestly i i think no I, I like the mind games of Magic. I'm a control player at heart, so I, I enjoy, you know, outthinking my opponent that way. But a lot of the nuanced little interactions are kind of silly, in my opinion. It does remove some of the gotchas. And, like, you know, you never really hate the feeling in a tournament setting when your opponent's like, hey, I'm going to target that indestructible thing with this kill spell. And you're like, are you? Yeah. Okay. And then it happens, and then they're just like, oh, crap. In a tournament setting, that's the end of it. When you play against friends, they're always like, oh, no, I don't want to do that. And, and you like take it back or whatever. So it kind of eliminates yeah. some of those situations. I think in general, it's just better if people know how the game works. So mm. I want to say that it doesn't bother me at all. But it does definitely, I think, maybe definitely is a little too strong. But I think it does take away some win equity from more experienced players. Because yeah. less experienced players are going to make mistakes like that. Yeah, so the question is, do we want to trade a little bit of win equity? I, I like they say win equity for the more experienced uh, and franchise players, or do we want a little more fun equity for... Right, no, that's exactly what it is. Because when, when you target something that's not targetable or uh, you forget some of the text, especially with the way they've been printing cards lately with just walls of text on every single card in the, in the entire set, when you don't remember that, that a card does a certain effect and it hurts you because you don't remember that, it kind of feels pretty bad. And it feels, and we, we talk about this in, in the settings of draft formats as well, like it feels a little win more, right? Like you're, you're already, the only people who are going to benefit from this sort of thing are experienced players and they don't really need the help. Yeah, I'm in agreement. Funnily enough, I don't think Arena shows reminder text if you try to fatal push a three drop or a four drop that are uh, legal, even though uh, you don't have revolt triggered yet. I, I think that still works, but the, I don't know. I haven't cast the fatal push in historic in a little while. I, I agree. I think I'd rather have a slightly more fun game overall. I think in paper, this is the equivalent of if you're playing at a local game store level, uh, if it's a, uh, say, a draft, uh, maybe one of the first few weeks of the new format, of course, you're going to be pretty lenient and be like, oh, I didn't know that had that and be like, oh, OK, sure, just take it back, whatever. It's a draft. The goal is to win, but you should also remember that you're playing at a local game store and you want to have fun. And if you end up taking game actions that cause a player, cause you to win the game, but cause your opponent to quit the game forever, <laughs> was that really worth the win? Net I, I don't think yeah. so. Yeah, that, that's a net negative overall by far. So I am a fan of this, especially now that we've kind of moved into this digital age. I think it's good to take a little bit out of this, take a little sport out of it if it means a friendlier game experience for more people, including the newer players. Yeah, and I think actually it's going to benefit tournament play as well, because when you look at like when both players are are quite experienced or relatively experienced or however you want to format that, when you're up against a rope, sometimes you can just make rash decisions by oh, yeah. accident yeah. because you're worried about the time pressure. And notably, the rope is different than a chess clock. Like in, in, in paper tournaments, you had a clock on the round and that timer was always there. But and not even a chess clock, like you didn't have times per turn. It's just the total match has a time limit on it. And so you still had a time limit. But having the rope makes individual actions more stressful, I suppose. 
So I like having that stop there. That's like, hey, you probably shouldn't do this. And you're like, oh, yeah, wow, that was a stupid thing. I should do this other line that I had in my head. It's going to make tournaments a little more streamlined, I think. I feel like this is a, a decent segue to mistakes that are made in an arena that would never occur in real life because you could, I don't know, pick up a card or double check it or maybe you didn't see for some reason. It, it makes me think of, I believe it was at a pro tour a few years ago, a player was about to attack for lethal. Like they had the game locked up with a hazard, but they all they had to do was activate hazard's ability before combat. But he said like move to combat and then it was too late. Uh, and he realized on like in front of however many tens of thousands of viewers like oh man i just made a mistake like that that's gonna cost me i, th I forget it might have been the finals of a pro tour it, it was something huge like that mm -hmm. somebody comment in the discord if you remember what that match was i don't remember who it was or who it was against but it was heartbreaking to watch it was brutal so anything that prevents little silly mistakes like that and whether it's you know losing a tournament because of something like that or uh i, I guess that's a little different that is technically a gameplay but you get what i'm saying I i'm against uh these kind of feel bad moments I think it's net negative for the game overall. So the less of those we have, the better. Yeah. Notably, too, I think it's worth mentioning, we don't want to take decision-making out of the game. That's not the stance that yeah. either of us are taking here. It's just yeah. the things that are niche and nuanced that that you just have to keep in mind, but net, yeah, feel net negative for the game overall that don't actually impact your gameplay decisions or shouldn't impact your gameplay decisions. I think those are those are what we're talking about here. All right, on to our main topic. So this week, as we said, Kaldheim format farewell. We'll see by the end of this whether we're happy or, or sad about that. But essentially, this is our typical end of format show where we kind of reminisce about the format a little bit, our likes, our dislikes, everything in between. And of course, we give out our our trademarked Draft Chaff Chaffee Awards to uh, certain categories for cards within the format. So we're going to run through those. We'll talk about our overall thoughts of the format, what we just what we liked and didn't like and all that sort of stuff. And then we'll move on to some of the some of the things we're looking forward to in Strixhaven. Right. So let's start it off with our classic Chaffee, the most powerful card in the set. This one, uh, despite what a, apparently was said on our April Fool's Day episode, I, I don't remember anything that happened that day. My, my mind is just blanked. Uh, Coma, Cosmos Serpent. Yeah, that's that's the best. If there, if you told me I get to <laughs> tell you what, if, if my opponent casts turn to divine intervention, divine, divine gambit, and you told me that I get to pick any card in the set to have in my hand at that moment. It's just coma. It's easily. It's coma, always yeah. just coma. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree. I I have coma's most powerful card as well. I had Cosmos Elixir not too far behind it, just because Cosmos Elixir feels amazing in pretty much any situation. Hmm, that's true. Maybe maybe it's 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 probably a big gap there, but I I do think Cosmos Elixir is also a very powerful card. I love that it plays well when you're behind ahead aggro not aggro it's just a very fitting card for most archetypes which which was nice but yeah definitely coma yeah coma's it next up our most annoying card this is uh, a chaffy that we both love and hate to to award uh ben what do you have for most annoying card actually i have a group here i have wraths because this format had a ton of wraths uh let, let's count them off doomscar crippling fear blood on the snow battle of frost and fire crush the weak did i miss any none that i can think of you know, Coma is kind of like a Wrath because it, it negates one <laughs> side of the board by creating like X many creatures that, that you didn't have. It, it increases the creature differential by a ton. It's kind of like a uh, it's kind of like a Plague Wind, right? Because it increases the huge board on your opponent's side and then leaves you with nothing on. Yeah, it, it's like a Plague Wind. Uh, Coma counts as a Wrath. You heard it here first, folks. What about you? What was your most annoying card? So for me, honestly, it was Yarl the Forsaken because. No matter how hard you tried, I feel like Yarl was a card that you could never properly play around. It's like you always, like, even when it was correct to attack, it was, like, somehow not correct to attack. And it just felt, it just felt bad. Like, a lot of times I was like, they have the Yarl, but I'm supposed to attack here. And then they just eat my thing, and it's just like, eh, okay. Yeah, it paired really well with a lot of the tokens running around, a lot of the high toughness creatures running around. Yeah. yeah. Next up, we've got the best jank in the set, the Chaffee for best jank. And this one, I don't even think this is close. This was a runaway, uh, a runaway ox, if you if you will. <laughs> yeah, yeah, giant ox and colossal plow, two big boyos that were kind of a meme, but also did work. Like, yeah, just total jank, but somehow actually made made the cut in a lot of decks and actually performed decently well. I still think the best use of this was uh, Marshall from LR, Marshall Sutcliffe, using it to ramp into a coma. Like, oh man. Yeah, yeah <laughs> that's absolutely a fantastic brilliant. Video. Especially when you consider that like the 
the the ramp from Colossal Plow is neither of the two colors that Gumman requires. <laughs> that was a that was a really funny draft to watch. Uh, yeah, fantastic. I highly recommend going and checking that out. I think that's on the CFB YouTube channel. What's next? All right, next up, our Chaffy for Chaffiest Chaff goes to a null. I'm giving it to a yeah. null. A null is just a terrible card that will never see real constructed play. And I mean, occasionally it probably sees constructed play, but come on, it's it. I doubt it made it. I would love to see the stats on how many actual like winning decks had that card in it, and how many decks that had that card were just lost like every game. <laughs> yeah, I think I might have sideboarded it in once against an opponent that had like Asika's Chariot and Waking the Trolls or something. I, I don't know. It, it didn't do what I wanted it to do. I mean, it, it does have it does have a place, and but you just named like two of, of some of the best cards in the format, and that's even then you just said it didn't really do what he wanted it to do. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it it doesn't really do anything against say your opponent that just slams a bunch of pack mates and wins the game the old fashioned way, right? Yeah. Speaking of cards that don't do anything against pack mates, Weathered Runestone. I am not entirely sure what this card says on it or does. I know I read it at the beginning of the format, and I made a mental note that I will never take this, besides for gem equity, towards the end. Uh, and after that, I just stopped looking at it. I think it has to do with the graveyard, or like, it's like a it Tron does. hate card or something, right? I don't know. It is. Yeah, does it do I, both? That's pretty good. It, it, something like that. Uh, the reason I didn't pick Weathered Runestone, because it was high on my list, uh, was because I actually think this card could, at some point, see Constructed Play. If it's not mm. already, I don't really pay attention to a lot of the constructed formats that are around. Historic's kind of the only one that I pay any attention to, really. Um, but it might be seeing play in other constructed formats. I could easily see a card like this uh, seeing constructed play at some point. Yeah, that's true. Next up, we've got the Chaffee for the most unexpected Chaff. What have you got for that? For me, it was Vega the Watcher. Unfortunately, I feel like the Fortel archetype as a, as a whole kind of fell through the cracks a little bit. I don't really recall seeing too many trophies from it throughout the, the Twitterverse and even in our Discord, like very few people actually trophied with Blue White, especially when they were like heavily built on the Fortel thing. I don't know, Vega just seemed amazing when I first read the card and then just didn't really do anything. Yeah, the Flyers were just a little too fragile overall in the end, I think. It just didn't really get there. I mean, some of the, the White Flyers, I'm not going to dunk on Battlefield Raptor. That thing was a beast, but uh, Vega... I think the best you could do with this was suspending the the scarecrow for telling the scarecrow and then casting it the same turn you played Vega. Yeah. But then, I mean, you've got a two mana two three draw a card. That's pretty cool. But you know what? <laughs> you know what a two three can't block? Battlefield a three Raptor. three or a three three. Well, yeah, that. And there there happens to be a pretty powerful three three in this format. Anyway, uh, I had battle for Bredegard. Now, when I first looked at this and I looked at the set, I was thinking, wow, this doubles all your tokens. Uh, as long as it's you know, individual and like unique tokens, that's really powerful. And this alone, this this uh, enchantment is giving you four power and four toughness over four bodies over the course of three turns. But and that's the 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 floor. That's like the the worst it can be. If you have a way of making a bigger token or something like that, then it could have been great. This never really did it for me. I only cast it a few times, and it it always made exactly. <laughs> Uh, four tokens total sometimes even less if i was like trading off of the tokens or doing something this wasn't a format where you could afford to not do something with your two or three drop whether that was attacking or blocking so sometimes i, I was in the situation where like well, wait a minute am i supposed to double block with these two tokens that i've gotten before the third chapter that, right that's yeah <laughs> that's yeah it that just feels awful yeah i honestly i feel that way about a lot of the sagas in this format some of the sagas were phenomenal you see things like waking the trolls bears of lit yara like some of them are really good but some just fell flat right like the other the other uh simic one i can't even remember what it's called it had to do with two something or other uh was just not good at all um the nico like nico defies destiny didn't like to play that in anything so yeah i don't know a lot of them fell flat for me but that brings us to our next Chaffee Award for Worst Bad Card to Lose To, sponsored by Limited Resources. <laughs> Thanks, LR, for our... Uh, what, what is this? Are, are we fostering this question? Until they, I don't know. Uh, we, got, we got authorization from Marshall to use it, so... I guess we'll, we'll, we'll take what we can get. Uh, I, we actually both have the same one for this, and that's Dread Rider. Yeah, Dread Rider is just like a big, dumb creature that also has this ability on it that if you forget about it, you're probably going to lose the game. It's just... It feels awful it's a card that you're like hey they played a dread rider I'm, I'm probably gonna win this and then you're like oh wait they played a dread rider i should have thought about that 10 turns ago yeah 
I found that I, I never actually lost a game to Dreadrider, but I came very close to losing games to Dreadrider, and I was terrified. Like, I can't die to this thing, can I? I had one game where I realized, wait a minute, I, I've been not paying a little... Uh, I haven't been paying quite enough attention to my life total. Right, right. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute, how many creatures are in the graveyard? If they activate on my end step and then untap, I go to one? Uh-oh. <laughs> but yeah. thankfully, I managed to push through. Yeah, I mean, when you compare this to something, and I know we're comparing different rarities here but like when you compare this to something like turgrid right mm-hmm. like turgrid's lantern just is an infinitely better card than this okay i'm i hyperbolize but <laughs> it is it is just a way better version of this card and that feels bad enough to lose to let alone dread rider next up is our pet card for the format uh what, what did you have oh man oh i can't <laughs> believe he's 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 saying this to me because of a particular actually the next chaffee which we're gonna get to which i'm never gonna let him live down i should have seen this coming my pet card for this format was infernal pet a it has pet in the title that's so on flavor uh, absolute flavor win there and it does like all the things i want to be doing i love black white in this format i think it was a phenomenal archetype even though everybody else disagrees with me i did a lot of winning with this archetype i got ben to day two with this archetype so (laughs) i don't know i i really like infernal pet it puts counters on it which is amazing and it gives it flying which is weird for like a rat thing even though it's not actually a rat (laughs) i loved everything about this card we're about to talk about black white a lot over the next several uh chappies aren't we because my pet card is the scent of the worthy which is a strange pet card this is one that i felt bad for it's it costs one white black and it is essentially a reanimate with flying but it's spaced over several turns and the, and the fact that it was a bad card in this format at least i think so even in the black white decks i feel like they didn't always want this yeah it made me have to question why this was a bad card in the format i think something about the fact that it does take several turns obviously like like one white black reanimated creature against flying permanently that's a, that's an absurd card, right? Like that, like as a yeah. sorcery, just that. That's fantastic. But I think because black white tended to have these smaller, dorkier creatures, like what are you casting this on? A code spell cleric? Like <laughs> what? What did you get from that? Yeah, even if you cast it on an infernal pet, you still have a ton of work to do before that pet is actually doing anything. Yeah, I think if this was say one black green, for example. Uh, and let's say it's a sorcery that reads one black green reanimate something against flying and then you're reanimating like lindworms and and wolves and yeah but that breaks the, the color pie okay so. yeah green doesn't <laughs> like that. But all i'm saying is that I, I think because white's creatures and black's creatures were just mediocre the best thing to probably reanimate this overall is probably like a careful kettle master yeah. um even then i guess you also have to consider that the first two chapters can be considered a downside if you have a very specific deck, they can be upside. For example, if you have a handful of God's Hall Guardians, then redirected damage to that is pretty great. It kind of means that your attackers and blockers are, uh, well, attackers more specifically, are immune uh, to damage, which is a sweet effect. I did see this used effectively once or twice, and I think I used it effectively once. But most other times, it just didn't do enough. Uh, opponents could kind of just pump the brakes Um not trade off with any of your good creatures and then if you don't have a way to get a creature in the graveyard then you're not really accomplishing much and i think overall in black white the creatures that were being brought back just weren't good enough yeah you couple that with the ability players had to play around it like it was just way too easy to play around yeah uh, yeah i don't think it really got there that was another one of the sagas that that really didn't do it for me although you you had high hopes for this card in the beginning of the format i did yeah and then i guess uh, once we got some gameplay experience I don't know. I think if Black White had some, I guess, better ways of dumping cards in the graveyard, there was Coma's Faithful, but that's not the best mm-hmm. card in the world anyway. I don't know. The Black White's cards were just a little bit anemic for this to be super effective. Well, that brings us to our next Chaffee, which is most disappointing archetype, and Ben, don't say it. <laughs> Black White double spells. Oh my gosh. Was my I, we can't be friends anymore. <laughs> Now, here's the thing. I did actually make day two of the open with this. And the funny, the funniest part about that, though, is I'm not letting you off the hook for this. The funniest part about this was you <laughs> built the deck and you're like, this deck is horrible. I'm never going to make like, I'm not going to win with this at all. And I was like, no, it's really good. Trust me. And then you made day two with it. And, you know, uh, a bunch of the all stars in this deck, uh, there were the, like three Jarls of the Forsaken and a bunch of like dorky little creatures. You had some Valkyries in there, too. And a Kaya. Okay, to be fair, the Kaya never really did anything. She was just a five-drop exile effect. It was like a, an Iona's Judgment. Like, it, it could have been any five-drop kill spell. That's but uh, I'm, I'm, I don't know. It never, like, that was the one fluke. And that was sealed. Okay, we should, we should be specific. That was sealed. 
which I think is a very different gameplay. Well, it's a, it's a very different deck building experience than draft. I think the worst part about Kaldheim is the drafting experience. That's the part I enjoy the least um, because then you wind up, and, and I guess the gameplay that follows that is kind of related. I thought sealed for this format was fantastic. It, it was yeah. really, really cool. And I wish they had it up for longer because when you kind of delegate the Snowlands properly <laughs> to, to each player, you don't wind up with someone with this monstrosity of super open snow and they manage to cut, I don't know, they, they, they grab the Nasikas chariot from green and uh, the Draugr Necromancer from black, but their base like blue red or something and like blue red green, they're doing some kind of nonsense. I think this format was really susceptible to greed drafting and then these decks yeah. that sometimes got there sometimes didn't which i don't know when they got there they were fantastic like i'll never get over the one deck that i had that had coma and jargon necromancer and yorn and cosima and kaya yeah. and then a bunch of like all the other fantastic but there were berg striders and limworms in there too like I, the deck couldn't lose if it wanted to i don't think that was good for the other people at the table Right. I had like six rares in my deck. What were the other decks at my, my table? What do they look like? They probably all went 03, right? Like what What do they do? Or, and I'm just spitballing, they might have been playing the best archetype in the format in black, white, <laughs> double spell, and they all went 7-0. But, you know, that that could just be me. Even then, I took a Kaya. From, I, I spiked a Kaya off one of them, so... <laughs> like you said, it's any any other five-drop removal spell will do for that deck, so... <laughs> She's a, she's a little better than that. Well, so that actually brings me to my chaffy for the most disappointing archetype, and that is Snow. And not because it was bad. I know you're you're picking on Black White for being a bad bad archetype. I don't agree with you, but we can we can leave it at that. I picked Snow because it just disappointed me. It it flat out disappointed me. It was too open. Mm. It was too easy to put together. It was too supported. So you had a lot of these greed piles, like you mentioned, where players could take literally any color card they wanted. Because they had the support for it, because they took all these lands, and sure, they 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 took they spent picks on lands. I get it, but lands can be real cards, and when you have stuff like Path to the World Tree, it's not a cost to take lands; it's actually a benefit. So I just mm. thought they did they overtuned Snow in a way, like it was way too accessible. I think if they dialed it back a little bit, we would have had some really cool like three and four color Snow decks that would have been actually difficult to put together. And yeah. still would have allowed the rest of the table to to be a draft table and let people put decks together. Unfortunately, we didn't get that. And when you have two snow drafters at the table, that's usually the most I think this could support, if that. But when you have at, at least one to two snow drafters at the table putting together these wild five-color brews, nobody else gets to pick any cards. So it just feels bad. It's not really a gameplay loss but no one no one really notices this happening to them no one says as they're drafting oh someone took the rare that i should have wheeled because i was in the right colors no one like consciously recognizes that uh, but right. sometimes you get this weird feeling that you're like i i could have sworn i was in the right seat but my deck is still underpowered right and i think that is the result of the snow drafters and these greed piles which often didn't get there like i i beat a bunch of uh bad snow decks <laughs> yeah no that's true that i like to see uh because it, like they missed and didn't get there, but the good ones were just unbeatable. We can get more into the into this in our in our wrap up here. But before we move on, I will say the same thing that I disliked about Snow for Draft was the thing I liked about Snow for Limited uh, for Sealed. Mm. The fact that Snow was so open and the ability to splash colors was so available made sealed decks feel wildly powerful. Right? It made it made it very easy. It felt like you didn't have a bad sealed pool most of the time. Because you could splash a couple colors, and even if you didn't quite get there on two colors, you could you could almost certainly splash for a third. Sometimes you could get a fourth in there and really not feel any any negative effects. So that made sealed feel really good. Yeah, just like a good amount of fixing and, and cool cards to play with it. Yeah, agreed. Anyway, uh, what creature from the set would you want to have as a pet? Fearless pup, hands down. Look at that good boy. He's just howling to the moon. He's getting in there and protecting you. Such a good boy. Getting blanked by two fours. Okay, yeah, look, right. you. <laughs> He's just a puppy. Let him grow up. Uh, well, you know what else Fearless Pup can't attack into? One very rambunctious squirrel. It never Toski has to because Toski always attacks. Okay, but the first turn it comes down, <laughs> it blanks the pup. Uh, Toski Bear of Secrets is mine. I would, I'd be a big fan of having this mystical little god squirrel running around telling me secrets and drawing me cards. And green, right? Green, the color of card draw. <laughs> it is these days. I actually had a, a fantastic cube deck. It was mono white splashing Toski. It was one of the most fun decks I've built in the cube. It, it was it, uh, the mana base was a little wonky, 
but <laughs> and I think I, I threw some opponents for a loop when I had I, I went like uh, like one drop history and finalia uh, like not Linden uh, uh, but Benelish Marshall like the one the triple, triple white, white yeah. lord and then um, uh, tur- turn for like a green white land Toski and they're like wait a minute what <laughs> <laughs> That's and then, then I just draw my, I just dump my whole hand and draw it right back again. It, it was a lot of fun. So Tosky uh, has earned my heart in both cube and uh, in in this sealed format and and the limited format. Yeah, Tosky is actually phenomenal. Definitely uh, the card that improved the most for me, or that I had the the most wrong opinion about before we went into this format. But part of that was that I didn't read the card fully. So there you have it. Read your cards. Next up, we have the Chaffee for cards you never cast. This is typically a long list. Ben drafts a lot more than I do, so my list tends to be longer than his, but we actually had a lot of overlap this time around. Yeah, it looks like our first four, my only four and your first four, are identical, which are Weathered Runestone, Open the Omen Paths, which no deck ever wanted to do this. I, I, when I saw my opponent cast an Open the Omen Paths, which happened once, I was like, oh, good. <laughs> it's going to be one of those games. That was up there um, for me for the worst bad cards to lose to, because you never actually lost. Like The reason I didn't pick this was that you you never actually lost the game to this card. But if your opponent yeah. cast it and then you incidentally lost the game later, it felt bad. Yeah. It's like, wow, they just discarded the card. Actually, it's kind of like Simeon Spirit Guide. Now, now that you oh mentioned. my gosh. <laughs> uh, dual Strike. Uh, I never cast it. I never really even saw it used that effectively. I, I don't know what the best thing you can do with this is. Maybe Seize the Spoils or something. And Reckless Crew. I, I never wound up with enough uh, equipments and artifacts. It'd be cool if it worked, but I never really got there. Plus... Uh, I guess you could have a bunch of plows in your deck, but then it doesn't even make like the, the dwarf can't even carry that thing. It's too small. It's too short. True. Yeah, I had all those same uh, the first four, as you said, typically for this section, we try to avoid rares and mythics and such, because, you know, if you don't do a billion drafts, you can easily go without casting one of the rares or mythics. Uh, that said, I never cast a goldspan dragon. I never cast a coma. I actually have never seen a coma at the table, which sucks. Uh mm. And I also never cast Broken Wings or Roots of Wisdom. And I think, actually, in this format, Broken Wings wasn't a terrible card to have in your main deck. Yeah. But I, I never did end up running it. Yeah, Roots of Wisdom, I actually don't think I cast either. Yeah, that, that one, I don't think so. Broken Wings was fine. You often found that people were sniping the... the I mean, it, it's it's no Demon Bolt, but this is a sure. great value Demon Bolt. Oh, you know what? The reason I never cast Broken Wings was because I was too busy playing Black White, the best archetype in the format. <laughs> Look, we're going to have to drop this one because now we're on our last Chaffee. Now, usually we have a, a Chaffee involving broken shards of glass. That, that, that's kind of been a recurring pattern. But I, I made a slight edit for this uh, this Chaffee. Uh, would you rather eat yellow snow or lose a game against a turn two foretold card, turn three Cyril's pack? Which kind of epitomizes the format. In my yeah, opinion. no, it, it, it kind of does. Um, you know, overall, I, I did like the format, but I'm pretty ready for a change of scenery. That said, I can afford to lose the pack mate again. I don't think I need to eat yellow snow. I'll probably draft this format again when it comes back in, in the premiere cycle or the quick draft cycle. It's not an all-timer for me. Like, I don't think it cracks my top 10, but, you know, uh, I'll take it. Yeah, I certainly get the people that absolutely adored this format, but I'm ready for a break, too. I, I, I don't know. I guess I'll lose to another pack mate, but the fact that it's not... I'm not just immediately snapping. Up. I guess I am. <laughs> no, I'm not. Okay. Yeah. I have to say I'm going to lose the pack mate. Don't I? Or else I'm weird. I, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't that's why. That kind of, that kind of <laughs> I can't put that kind of image of myself on the internet. Not, not for the, not for the good listener. All right. With that on to our final thoughts about call time. I did kind of just dump a couple of mine, uh, in the answer to that chaffy. Um, but honestly, overall, I love the depth of the depth of the format. I thought it had a plethora of builds that were, technically viable but i also think that was kind of a bad thing in that this like i said the snow decks at at risk of sounding like a broken record the snow decks were just way too prevalent they were way too accessible and had way too much reach into the other colors um so that made the draft portion a lot less fun and that's my favorite part about drafting is the drafting so that felt bad um foretell was an awesome mechanic i really hope we see more of that later or something similar to it i would like to see different takes on a similar for a similar mechanic it was really really interesting that said boast fell very flat for me i didn't really feel like boast belonged in the set really and it just didn't do a whole like a lot of the boast cards i never drafted anyway and they were just like kind of meh um yeah i think that could have been a bit better or just saved for a different format 
overall, definitely a good format, but I don't really see it breaking into my top 10. It's interesting that that Boast was one that felt a little flat. I, I wonder if we went back and looked historically at the number of top-down designs, which I feel like this was, right? This was trying to epitomize like a Viking going into battle and then bragging about it. I think this was top-down about something like that. I don't think they decided, you know what Kaldheim needs? Something that triggers only if a creature's attack, it can be activated only if a creature's attack this turn. Maybe that's why it felt a little strange. Well, this set had a lot of defensive cards too. I mean, none of them had boast, but uh, maybe it was trying to balance it out. I don't know. I wonder if we looked overall at the number of successful top-down versus the number of successful like bottom-up designs uh, for for card- cycling, for example, is a bottom-up design that's fantastic. Yeah, I don't think anyone will ever complain about cycling. Uh, Kicker is, I guess, a little bit of both. I'm not really sure where that one started. Probably mm-hmm. bottom-up, right? Yeah, I would think so. Uh, and that one is also fantastic. So uh, I'm a little suspicious of, of top-down designs, I, I'd say, when, when it comes to major gameplay mechanics. Not suspicious in a bad way. Of course, they can expand design space. Now, I would say Call Time overall for me was a unique and dense format. I've never been so tired of reading cards. I, I kind of... I never thought I'd say this, but I could use a core set in between now and Strixhaven. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, nice. Strixhaven has even more text on cards than Kaldheim <laughs> did, so yikes. Yeah, uh, because most of them have two sides, and like they have sure. the same amount of... At least the complexity seems to have gone down a little bit. Uh, Strixhaven just had a, a, a bit of a messy uh, spread of, of mechanics. Like, there Kaldheim was, there was is, right? poison in this set. Oh, oh yeah, what did I say? Kaldheim, I mean. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there was poison <laughs> there was in the set. Poison, like, what? <laughs> what? Um... There was a Phyrexian in this set. What, what was going on? <laughs> um, anyway, uh, I think the breakdown of the best decks was just a little bit too clear. Snowpile and the, the white, mainly white, and then kind of red and green based aggro. They just wound up at the top of the format and they squeezed out a lot of the other strategies like elves and, in my opinion, black, white, double spell. Now, there's usually this uh, control beats mid-range beats aggro beats control. Right? It's like a rock, paper, scissors of... of uh, the, the bigger thing always snacking on the smaller thing, except for aggro, which can outpace control. Usually we see this developing in any metagame, whether it's standard or, or limited or, or anything like this. Now, of course, decks are all just different flavors of mid-range, so I- interpret this as low to the ground mid-range versus over the top mid-range. Uh, I think in this format, thanks to some pretty fantastic equipment like Goldvein Pick and Tormentor's Helm, the later aggro decks were able to kind of get in faster than the mid-range decks were able to stabilize a lot of the time. Things like Clarion Spirit, Battlefield Raptor, Goldvein Pick, these cards were just such early game slams, especially with a bunch of playable one drops that made these mid-range decks like Black Green Elves or, or Black Red uh, uh, Berserkers, I think. <laughs> I don't know what was going on there, but they just kind of got blanked by these more aggressive strategies. And then they were also being blanked from the other end by these snow decks, which of course, if you're playing Black Red, I don't think you're ever winning against snow unless you have like, a really good start, but something like a Berg Strider just ruins your entire day. Or, or uh, Lindworm or Pass of the World Tree. These cards are all so good at stabilizing that the mid-range decks don't really have a chance to compete and then of course you wind up with this kind of like aggro versus snow meta game which if people enjoy that's fine if you if you want to cast behold the multiverse and draw into a linworm and and uh like a berg strider and try to stabilize against these dorky white tokens then sure it, it's an interesting meta game but i found that it wasn't complex enough and they're really only like three decks in this format so it, it just got yeah. old a little bit faster for me i think I'd probably give this set overall because of the unique experience, probably like a seven out of 10, but my personal enjoyment was probably closer to a five or a six. I think I'm right there with you. Yeah. The, the novelty wore off. If, if called time felt as long as Zendikar rising did, I probably would have stopped drafting ages ago. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Whereas Zendikar rising, it was quote unquote solved pretty quickly, but mm-hmm. it had enough going on that I, I kept drafting it through the whole course and it felt like it took ages for that set to rotate out. Kind of miss Zendikar rising. I, a little I, bit. Towards the end of I really started to get into a groove with it. Uh, it. It was also nice to kind of have like, this is probably the opposite of what we're going for. You know, it, it's finally time for a, a podcast to make you worship drafting. But <laughs> with Zendikar Rising, people would just pass me uh, Grotag Bug Catchers and I would just take all of them. And then yeah. I'd just 7-0 and I'd do it again. <laughs> wait, wait, do we not do that every week? I thought we made people worse at drafting every single week. <laughs> that is one of our goals, isn't it? All right, on to Strixhaven. Goodbye, Kaldheim. Hello, Strixhaven. I am kind of surprised that they finally named a set not after a plane. And I think that's going to confuse Ooh. a ton of people. But uh, yeah, so Strixhaven is a school that exists on the plane of Arcavios, And uh, the story's out now, so check that out or just wait for us to 
tell it to you in our Flavortown episode. But Better. that said, Ben, what are you looking forward to most about Strixhaven? Well, first of all, I actually read the, the first two stories to come out. I really like them. It's an interesting direction that they're yeah, going with agreed. it. Uh, Professor Onyx is is up to something. Uh, something to do with Gids uh, and trying to gain something from, from Arcadios or Strixhaven. I don't know. And, and the twins. I, I don't think I read the story during Eldraine. That was back when it was getting a little weird when there were some books or something and paywalls and kind of fell off from there. But Will and Rowan Kenrith are actually pretty cool. I like the dynamic. Uh, they're twins and they're very opposite personalities. So it, it's a fun read. Recommend Agreed. it. Now, I'm actually having trouble deciding what house I am still because gameplay wise, I think I'm most excited for Lorehold and Witherbloom. Uh, I like seeing a unique red white archetype, and this one is really unique. This kind of mix of defensive creatures that are making three twos and milling themselves and exiling cards from the graveyard. What is all this? This is really cool for limited. And uh, speaking of things that are finally playable and limited, looks like black green might actually be good for once, <laughs> he said, ho- hopefully, because the last two sets. Uh, black green has not really been near the top of the format. You now, can this go one... further back than that, though. I mean, M21, oh, yeah. black green was unplayable. Yeah, maybe that's why I've kind of felt like I've fallen off black green recently. I, I don't know. I, I think this set, there's something like a format of 7-7 and like a 5 out of 10-10 or some nonsense like that that required you to sack creatures, and you've got these little pest tokens running around, and there's life gain synergy. I don't know. This seems like it might finally break the curse. Uh, I, I'm, I'm excited for that. But But here's the problem. I identify personally most with the theme of Quandrix because it's like that they're physics mages. What, how could I say no to that? But exactly. There's a card that says a good experiment must be repeatable. I'm going to grab that card and staple it to the front of my classroom. Like That's awesome. But I also really like the visual aesthetics of Silver Quill. I, I like black-white cards a lot and, and what they tend to do. I think all I can say for sure is that I'm not Prismari. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Actually, Silver Quill for me was the biggest miss. Uh, uh, for me personally, not in the set generally speaking i just didn't get what silver quill was doing accurately until i read a post from some of the the creative leads on on the set silver quill is supposed to be like a military college like it's supposed to be like the college for like military oh, yeah. like it's supposed to be like the Razi of of uh strixhaven which didn't come off to me as at all as as what they were going for when I saw the card spoiled. Yeah, I saw something about that. It's something a little little strange in the design. Something like they wanted, not like verbal abuse, but they said they wanted the way of like attacking magic with words. And yeah. that turned into the black-white college. A little strange. I'll see how it plays out in, in the story, especially before I make any judgments. But that was a little weird. I, I also think the Inklings are, uh, not only is Nintendo going to be knocking on the door, <laughs> but uh, I think the worst of the mascots. The other ones are all pretty cool. Yeah, I've Inkling, got an Inkling that those aren't going to hold up. <laughs> <laughs> come on um, I, I, I would set myself for it yeah what are, you, what are you looking forward to yeah so i have maybe a hot take here but i think watsy stumbled onto something i don't know if it was intentional or not but they stumbled onto something that i think is huge for the future of magic if they capitalize on it and that is shaking up the color pie we've seen cards like feed the swarm that outrage people where you're like what are you doing you're breaking the color pie and i think the reason that happens after seeing the general um, feedback on the feel of Strixhaven so far, the reason people are so upset when they break, when they have broken the color pie in the past, is because they did it on one or two cards at a time. When you take whole color combos and shift the dynamic of them into a separate feel for the color pie, but you do it to every color at the same time, it feels Ooh. really cool. What they did in this set is yeah. Lorehold is red white it's not aggressive they gave it those cool graveyard synergies they gave it some cool uh like artifacts matters sub themes they, they shifted it in a way that feels very refreshing yeah. wither bloom mm-hmm. still does some graveyard shenanigans but has a life game sub theme which is weird for Sacrifice. green black and sack well sack is kind of there but it's not yeah. like you know your typical black white black white's like the most vanilla quote-unquote house or college as far as like the mechanics are concerned um, counters right counters yeah it's plus, kind of plus one plus one counters but those aren't super common in black white either usually that's like a green white thing so yeah. they shifted all these things and and like red blue isn't i mean it's still instant and sorcery based but it's like big spells which is a little bit different than what we've seen before i think if you take this approach of shifting the color pie but you do it to every single color at the same time and you do it flavorfully and in a way that actually works with the theme of the set i think you're gonna have people embracing shifts to the color pie as opposed to being upset about them yeah that's a good hot take it, it seems everyone's really excited rather than 
you know, reacting the way that they did to feed the swarm. I think you've stumbled onto something here. That said, Lorehold looks phenomenal. I'm super excited that that they that they are doing this kind of shift with red white. It feels very me, and I'm happy that I was placed in Lorehold from the quiz that they did. Um, they've got this cool like college thing, like like the the whole Harry Potter like the houses are competing against each other thing which is going to be fun so if you like put the sleeve of your house or college on your decks it like earns points for every game you play with that sleeve really and it, yeah and then at the end you get yeah they, they they said there are three ways that you can um that you can earn points for your college it's put the sleeves on your deck when you play games use the the codex pet that represents your your <laughs> college which you have to get the mastery pass for and then use use the avatar from your college, which you also have to get the mastery pass for. So, kind of a way to, for them to scrape out a few extra coins from from their loving fan base. But um, what do you get if your house wins? Is there they a didn't prize? say. They just said there's a prize. They didn't say what it is. So, oh, interesting. Maybe by the time this episode releases, they'll figure it out. But I mean, you, you might. I don't. I don't know if it's like the winning college is the only college that gets this thing, or if everybody gets it. In which case, it's like kind of weird that they're making it a competition, but you know, whatever. That's a tough tightrope to walk. You want to make sure everyone gets rewarded, not yeah. just one fifth year player base. That'd feel kind of bad, but yeah, I don't know. It's a cute little thing that they're doing. Yeah, for sure. Well, that does it for us this week. Thank you so much for spending your time with us and listening to the whole cast. If you're interested in talking with us and the rest of our listeners, check out the Discord. As always, the link to that is in the episode description as well as on the Patreon page. Uh, wow, the Patreon page. I'm uh, mixing themes here, as well as on our Twitter page. Uh, it is actually on the Patreon page too, though. Um, and if you're interested in giving back to the show, check out the Patreon at patreon.com forward slash draft chaff pod. We can, we've got stickers and uh, Ben's deck building bonanza. If you are so inclined in building a chaffy constructed like kitchen table magic uh, deck with Ben, that's also uh, available as well as some uh, behind the scenes sort of stuff. If that's your cup of tea. If it's not, the best way you can support the show is by spreading it get other people listening just tell your friends tell your enemies just uh spread the show around that would be a great help to us as well if you want to reach out to us outside of the discord you can do so on twitter by adding either me or ben at rannick alfredian or betafish1 and you can access the podcast directly at draftchaffpod you can also email us at draftchaffpod at gmail.com we'll catch you next week later everyone all right so i want to talk a little bit more arena cube just just a tiny bit now It's no vintage cube. It's nothing like that. People from the vintage cube are, of course, familiar with the Power 9. Powered cubes, Power 9, right? All, all that stuff. Stuff like Black Lotus and, and the Moxes and uh, Time, whatever that one is, Ancestral. You know, these these big fancy cards that everyone knows. Now, I actually uh, I want to go over a quick Power 9 of the Arena Cube. Okay. I think this could be a good list. These are the kind of cards you want to first pick. When, when you see like a, a Mox Jet in your... Uh, vintage cube pack you're like nice i open power that's it i'd like to introduce you all to the power of uh of arena cube let's start off with the first one field of the dead for those that don't remember uh, if a card has ever been banned and then you get the chance to play with it again it's probably a a safe bet that it's gonna be pretty strong field of the dead doesn't have any there's there's no super like sack all your lands get everything back uh this isn't a modern deck or anything this is not like valakut but you can still just play this the good old-fashioned way of tutoring out a bunch of lands, going and getting those lands. Uh, Ulvenwald Hydra can, can go tutor for a land. Uh, and it, it, there's another card that can tutor for a land. It's next on our list, but we'll get there. Uh, and if you're playing a multicolored deck, you're taking Fixing highly, which you should be doing in this cube anyway, then Field of the Dead is going to start making tokens, sometimes as early as turn five or six, in which case you're going to win that game pretty easily. Yeah. Turning your lands into actual cards that do real things besides just ramping you is is pretty solid. And in a, a set like Cube, where sometimes you just straight up one for one uh, with your opponent, maybe you, your opponent's playing Control and, and you're playing like a mid-range deck, and they just like bolt everything you play, well then, if you play your land and then all of a sudden a flood of creatures starts happening and they're out of bolts, you're going to win that game. True. Now, the other creature that can go get Field of the Dead is Golos, and Golos is number two of our power nine. Every time you get to activate a Golos, it, 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 I don't really know what to say besides if you haven't activated the Golos, you haven't lived. Like getting that, <laughs> that activation off, you never know what you're going to hit. Maybe it's going to be a Llanowar Elf. Maybe it's going to be an Ulamog. I've hit, I've hit both. <laughs> you, you, you never know. Uh, but it's that excitement and that, I mean, it gives you massive card advantage of three f- cards. It gives you massive mana advantage of those three cards likely combined have CMC greater than seven. 
So you're you're kind of getting them at a discount. If you build your deck properly and have some good cast triggers like Ulamog or uh, maybe ETB triggers like not not uh, Koga the the Titan Ape something like that, or even just like Great Henge and just getting it at a huge discount. Golos is going to win you some games if you are able to activate it a few times. Agreed. Yeah, can't go wrong with Golos and pairing that one up with Field of the Dead always feels good. Mm-hmm. Number three, we got Sublime Epiphany. Now I I've seen. So many games that end with Sublime Epiphany on the stack, more than any other card. Oh, yeah. Uh, because the opponent, or you, ideally you, uh, will counter their big spell, bounce their best thing, make a copy of a creature that you have that has an ETB ability, and then draw a card. And you're getting like a four for one, five for one, even at a three for one, this card's still insane. Uh, most games where Sublime Epiphany is cast end with it on the stack. And make sure you're the one <laughs> that casts it from your hand, not your opponent. Yep. Uh, Marshall's last stream, uh, which was this week, he had a really sick blue deck that was like a self-mill with Jace, Wheeler of Mysteries, and Thassa's Oracle and stuff. But um, mm. he managed to cast Sublime Epiphany, targeting his own hostage taker for the copy. Oh. Nice. So he stole like their Chandra or something stupid. And I, it was like, I don't even remember. It was ridiculous. But uh, yeah, Sublime Epiphany is phenomenal. Next up is the Great Henge. This card is broken in, you know, Every limited environment ever plays in it. Now, you can't put this in any deck. For example, some green decks that wind up more non-creature spell heavy. If you're playing red-green, you can sometimes wind up with a good number of non-creature spells. In which case, it's not always the best card. If you have a bunch of sagas that you're ramping into or planeswalkers that you're ramping into, sometimes you have to cut it. But in any creature-based deck, if you have at least 15 creatures, you want the Great Henge. And it pairs really well with some of the five uh, five power three drops. Things like, uh, let's see, there's a handful of them. There's the Dinosaur. That I, the name of which I forget, lets you play additional land each turn. Uh, there's Ronus, uh, the three-drop Ronus that has five power. There's the Mammoth that uh, that has five power with landfall, if you get that fourth land for the uh, the, the Great Henge anyway. I think that's all the... I think that's all of them, yeah. But anyway, it's really easy to get a turn for uh, Great Henge, and then you play a two-drop and immediately draw a card, and you're going to win that game easy. For sure. Can't complain there. Number five is Rekindling Phoenix. This card sometimes goes in red decks. It sometimes goes in green decks uh, that are playing red too. This card is incredibly hard for most mid-range decks to beat, and it blanks a lot of powerful removal spells. Really, the only way to deal with this permanently is a red exile effect or a black exile effect, which there aren't too many of. Some white, uh, a few white exile effects as well, but it just automatically blanks most removal. It's an infinite blocker. If you're getting beaten by a 10-10, you can chump with this every turn. It's an infinite attacker. If they have a a 4-4 flyer, you can just jam this into it for free and you know it's going to come back even if they choose to trade. It is at worst a 2-for-1. Example, I played against a mono-red deck. I was playing uh, a red-green deck that had Phoenix in it. They bolted it and then shocked the token that it leaves afterwards. And then they were out of cards to to remove all my other threats. And I just overran them and won the game. Yeah. Yeah, Phoenix is a pet card of mine. Definitely been a favorite ever since it was printed and is one of the only like true-to-form phoenixes phoenix eye in okay, magic yeah. where like it it, la- it leaves the egg behind and actually comes back on its own um mm-hmm. as opposed to having to do something extra to get it back but i absolutely love rekindling phoenix number six on the list is uh chandra and I- i'm gonna say all of them in decreasing order of mana cost so the six drop one is the best if you cast it you will often win the game especially because turn six or turn five for maybe your opponent is where they're trying to counter your big thing sometimes your their blue opponent will pass mana up Six drop one cannot be countered, and if you just start uptaking it, that's just that's game. Uh, the five drop one's pretty good too. I found it to be especially effective against the smaller creature decks. Chandra five drop Chandra's uptick deals two damage to any target, so you can just start pinging down your opponent's key permanents, uh, pinging down something like a Thalia or uh, like a Rex Sage that was threatening to uh, remove some of your Planeswalker's toughness. The four drop one is fine. Uh, it's not as strong as it is in Constructed, which is a little bit of a faster format. Uh, it's used some historic play. In this cube, it's still pretty good. It can downtick to kill a creature, or maybe even uptick to cast a lightning strike. It's fine. And then the three-drop one is mostly just wanted by like tokens, decks, or Romano Red, that kind of thing. Next up is Embercleave, for the same reasons that it's seen you know, play in every format it's legal. Well, not really. I guess it's mostly just standard. And but if you've never had a draft with an Ember Cleave, you haven't lived. Uh, similar with Golos, the pattern here is that you feel like you're really getting away with something with these cards. Just a note: I'd be happy slam first picking any of the cards that I've mentioned, except for Three Drop Chandra. 
that one that one doesn't quite make it sorry chandra elder gargaroth is number eight on the list now it's kind of strange this one doesn't have any etb effect it is just a five drop green creature that you do have to attack with or block with but the ability to stabilize against some of the stronger starts in green uh, is pretty valuable because say you're trying to ramp up and your opponent has uh, been curving out with a mono white deck. Maybe they removed one of your your first threats. Maybe like, uh, I don't know, uh, your three drop uh, Rampaging Frostodon or something like that. And now you're left kind of with only a mana dork to block. Well, if you slam that Elder Gargaroth, this threatens to stabilize your life total or make a 3-3 that can trade with one of the things or draw you a card, whatever is most necessary. And it lines up really well with a lot of the removal. And last but not least is Sky Sovereign, console flagship. This is my favorite first pick in the set, actually. I find that it goes really well in every deck. There is no deck that doesn't want Sky Sovereign. You should always take it. I've gotten past this, which I think is a mistake. Um, it will just stabilize you. It'll take out your opponent's best thing. And if you start attacking with it, it'll end the game within a turn or two. Now, a few honorable mentions real quick, just some mana dorks. You always want Llanowar Elves. You always want Gilded Goose. Uh, I found Fey of Wishes to be pretty good. If you're playing a multicolored deck, you can just go grab like a Bedevil. I had a, a sweet game where I Fey of Wishes for a Claim the Firstborn that I had on my sideboard of my, uh, it was a, I want to say a Bant deck, but I happened to have a Jeskai, a, the Jeskai Triome. So I Fey of Wishes for Claim the Firstborn to steal my opponent's 4-4 token and swing for lethal. That's uh, amazing. And they never saw that coming, of course. Um, Rex Sage and, and Artifact and Enchantment Hate, um, always fantastic in, in this kind of format where there's a lot of like great henges and Sky Sovereigns running around. Getting your Sky Sovereign Rex Saged, that one sucks. Get wrecked. <laughs> oh, yeah, I like that. Uh, Micaeus the Unhallowed, or not the Unhallowed, I guess the Hollowed. Micaeus the Lunark, I think. Uh, he makes those kind of low to the ground white decks really, really good. Oracle of Moldai is fantastic first pick in Vintage Cube. It's a fantastic first pick here. And Hostage Taker and a lot of the Blink decks. I really like the Blink decks with Thassa, Thassa's Oracle, um, Champion of Wits, anything that, uh, Illyrios the Enraptured, anything that has good ETB value, even Rexage, uh, to kind of just get a ton of value. And if you start getting Thassa or uh, actual Blink cards going, you can do some really broken stuff. I've, I'm very close to making an 80-card Yorian deck, but I've had the... Uh, or 60 card, I guess. But I've had the brain to, uh, you know, just put it in the, in the 40 anyway.